that which I want to talk about tonight is the whole, the whole area really of, of communicating with God. I mean, it's as simple as that really. And this two-way communication with God. In particular, those two sort of pillars of uh, Pentecostal charismatic spirituality, which is the gift of tongues and prophecy. And I want to do it in a way that will be exploratory. So we're going to do some looking at what the Bible might say. We're going to do some stuff that's going to be a little bit practical, at which point don't leave. Um, but to actually, I think, you know, in a sense, if we don't uh, at least try some of this stuff, then all we do is end up with more information and kind of not really the point. And then at the end, we'll worship together and just leave a little space in the worship. Where this is really all coming from is an idea that, um, that as we develop in our spiritual lives as individuals, and as we develop in our spiritual life as a church, we're, we're faced with um, real questions along the way about what we actually believe. Not what we believe with our head, but in different contexts, what we might call practical belief. Actually, what we, literally, what we practice. And I think that in many ways... Your practice is what you really believe. That's a bit of a bold statement, but I think your practice is actually what you really believe. The rest of it is like, you might sign up to things in your head and kind of acknowledge them, but whatever, for whatever reason, I think this is actually across the board, for whatever reason, I think actually work out what you really believe by the way you do, and by the things you do and, and, and the way you act. And one of the things that, as I've said before, and I'll, I'll repeat it again, I, I, one of the things that's sort of been exercising me and, and, and making me wonder and reflect is the gap between experience and a biblical worldview. The gap between experience and a biblical worldview. Now, left to our own devices, we can explain the gap away. Okay, so that we feel comfortable with it. And that, that's been done over the years many times and in many different ways. But the alternative way is for us to say, well, actually, if this is a biblical worldview, then what we need to do, as far as we are able, is to sort of submit to it. Even if we begin by saying, Lord, we haven't got a clue about this stuff. But actually, we submit to it. In other words, instead of trying to make the Bible apply to us, and our situation, which I think is what we often want to do. You know, so you read something and say, well, what does it mean for me? Sometimes, actually what you've got to do is go, so that's the world you seem to be offering me. How am I doing? And when there's a gap, and let's be honest, there is a gap, it's like, well, what do you do next? Does that make sense? Good, because if that didn't make sense, the rest of it ain't going to make sense. And it's really out of that sort of impetus that I, I want to chat to you. So I, I, we're going to pray for a moment. I'm going to talk for a, a little while, not, not massively long time, and then we'll move through. Is that okay? So do you want to stand just for a moment, and, uh, and let's just pray. Feels odd to start without singing, doesn't it? It's like, it's like Coronation Street without the signature tune. Refreshing. <laughs> yeah.
Let's just pray. Lord, none of us come to church tonight out of a vacuum. We come out of a, a thousand different contexts. And yet, Lord, we come and in the space we have allocated, we come and we ask that in this space something will happen that will actually encourage us to, to grow. So, Lord, I pray that we will, you will do this work, but you will help us to grow in our thinking. We want to think rigorously about this stuff. It's not enough, Lord, for us to have slogans. It's not enough just to go back to what we've always said, but actually to try and think really robustly about this sort of stuff. Lord, and then on the other hand, we want to practice that which we believe. And Lord, we find that more difficult sometimes. And we acknowledge that. But Lord, we ask that indeed your spirit would come amongst us. And that we might be aware of you speaking to us and, and just aware of how that might be working out in our lives. So Lord, we pray. For those of us who have been Christians a long time, Lord, will you spark new thoughts and will you refresh old thoughts? For those of us who are still quite young in this walk, Lord, we pray that you'd uh, encourage us to go further than we've been yet. And that we'll feel safe enough to do so. Lord, at the end of it, I just pray that something will kick off in us that would indeed uh, find legs to carry on running for a, a little while longer. So help all this, we pray, and we offer it to you, and we offer you our evening, and we invite you to come amongst us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good. Two things, then. Prophecy. And tongues. I want to talk about pro- prophecy just for a moment and give you a kind of what, a kind of what is it? Because when we get to reading scripture, it doesn't actually describe what it is. Um, it just sort of assumes you would know. If you read the Old Testament, it's not very long before you get into the Old Testament before you realize that this God that people are professing to worship is in a dialogue with people. And that that dialogue's real. And that people are hearing and are then being able to sort of like, you know, have this conversation with God. But that God is a very much an active part all the way through. In fact, you might want to say that from the beginning of the Bible, God is the prime mover. So God is the first word in the beginning, God said. And from there on, God's always kind of wanting to communicate. So when me and you pray, it's kind of like a response to, not a beginning word. It's a a, a secondary word. It's a responsive word. So from the very beginning of the Bible, you start to come to this ideal that we're not in a religion here, whereby somehow God's way out there, and you just have to do religious duty to somehow get his attention. It's quite the other way around. That God is actually trying to get your attention. And the, the problem in the Bible, in the Old Testament particularly, is not that God is silent, although, let's be honest, there are times when he is silent in the Old Testament. I'm not ruling that out. But that's not actually the big issue for people. The big issue is they don't want to do what he says. That's actually the problem. 
The problem in the Old Testament mostly is not that people don't understand, nor that they can't hear. It's simply they don't want to be obedient. Now, the moment you get there, you realize that you've got a different kind of religion going on. So you get the story of God creating a people, of God creating the world, and then God in our, our Abraham creating a people who's going to be bless, a, a blessing to the whole world, who's going to open up a whole new vista of possibility for people across the globe, and then these people go off the rails. And what emerges are a group of people called prophets. And this is what prophets do. Prophets see the reality of a situation absolutely clearly. They are in no doubt. They just have this sort of like real searing insight into a situation. Sometimes when everybody else is going, it's fine, everything's great, the prophet is an awkward person. You kind of don't want to be around Old Testament prophets much, do you? You can understand why they got stoned a lot. Uh, I mean, with rocks. And, um, you know, sort of imprisoned and put to one side. Because you, these prophets were not, were not comfortable. And actually, they still aren't. In a wider society context, we don't want people to actually say, your problems are going to get worse if you continue like this. You know, like, you think about the climate change stuff. In one sense, when they all start banging on about what's happening to us and what the consequences will be, some of us want to go, listen, I've got, a, I've got enough on my plate. Do you know what I mean? I just have enough on my plate getting through to the end of the week. Don't talk to me about polar bears. Do you know what I mean? It's just one, one thing too much. I, I just can't imagine. And, and people like Al Gore and the like are banging on and saying, look, unless you change your lifestyle, it's going to be catastrophe. And so what we do is we block our ears. And go, ah, oh, they're overacting. Well, this is exactly the way people were in the Old Testament. But God keeps using them. One of the things that happens in the New Testament then is the big change, you know where I'm going with this, the big change is it's not a special group of people who can only hear from God. Suddenly the promise of the Spirit is your old people can prophesy, your young people can prophesy, women can prophesy, men can prophesy, people at the bottom of the social pile, they can prophesy. And actually, that regardless now of where you think you are in a sort of a, a pecking order, God wants to use you. So you can be extrovert or introvert. You can be old or young, male or female, a young Christian, old Christian. It doesn't make any difference because of what we might call the democracy of the spirit. Now, in the midst of the New Testament church, there was one particular context where they'd really gone for this stuff about spiritual gifts. This idea that God somehow energizes and comes amongst us. And that place, of course, was Corinth. And it, whatever you think about Corinth, I'm not sure I'd want to be a member there, but I wouldn't have minded visiting once or twice. It was like, it, it was like absolute chaos. And one of the things that seems to have been happening was alongside a whole stack of other things is that people suddenly realized, I've got this gift of tongues. Now, what we're talking about when we talk about that, this, this idea that I can speak a language I have not learnt, 
And actually, it does something to me spiritually. It make, Put it in the vernacular, it makes me feel great. And it seems like when you went to Corinth to the service, what you'd have are just hours perhaps, because I'm sure it wasn't a 90-minute service, because they had meals as part of it, and lots of people would take part, and they would meet in a home. It would be like kind of like an extended house group scenario, when you might meet at 7 o'clock in the evening, and you might eventually go home at uh, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. So it wasn't like the set service we'd think about on a Sunday morning. But when they were there, it was like just this cacophony of people going in tongues, off on one. And Paul writes to them, and it's good that that happened, by the way, because if he didn't, Paul wouldn't have written about it. And when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he tells us, the, in a sense, the fullest information about this whole gift of both prophecy and tongues and the relative significance of both, which is where we need to get to get Bible out, because I want you to read with me the 14th chapter. All right? We're going to read together the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Okay, so you go through the Gospels, Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. Okay. Here we go. Follow the way of love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And he's going to explain why now. Because, or for, anyone who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies. Edifies is a technical kind of churchy word, but it means it just means builds up. Okay, it strengthens the church. So if you speak in a tongue, you strengthen yourself, but if you prophesy, you strengthen the church. I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues. In brackets, why? Well, because as he's just said, because that will help to build you up. And he'll explain why that might happen later. But he just says, I'd love you to be able to speak in tongues. But in church, but I'd rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. That word again, built up. Okay. Now, I'm conscious that we've got people who are at a wide range of, sort of, some people you'll be reading this, not for the first time, but not many times, and some of you will have been reading this since you were a babe. And I'm going to go slow enough to catch her everybody, I'll say, so if you, you, you just have to bear with me on this. Do you see what he's trying to do here? He comes into a church where people essentially are just thinking about themselves. They're just asking what does it for me? All right. And Paul says, when you come to worship, what does it for you is not the primary question. The primary question is, what does it for us? This is why he says, it's better then if you start, if you learn to prophesy. Because actually, if you prophesy, you are actually much more able to be encouraging and building 
and strengthening to other people, rather than if you're just having a good time. You, you see that? It's clear. So it goes on. Now, if I come to you and I speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. And those four things, I don't think it's easy sometimes just to say, that's this and that's that and that's the other. I think it's sort of like a spectrum of things. And then he uses some examples. Even in the case of life listings that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's distinction in the notes? So he goes... You can't tell what tune that is because... There's no distinction. I can't play any tunes, so I can't do the next bit. Note to self, must get better at illustrations. If the trumpet doesn't sound a clear call, who'll get ready to bow? Obvious example. So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll be just speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I don't grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker. And he's a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Now, we have Grazia and Monica from Poland and uh, uh, Dumi and Kani from um, Zimbabwe and Fabian from... Where are you from, Fabian? Cameroon. Your native language is French? No? Yeah, what's your native language? Well, it didn't matter. What? Okay. We knew that. <laughs> Polish. And uh, Dumi and Connie, what is your native language? Nambia. Okay. Now, it's, what he's getting at is the obvious scenario now. That if we invited uh, Dumi to come to the front and to lead us in prayer in Nambia, we would find it very difficult to say amen, so be it, with any integrity. Because we wouldn't know if he's praying down a curse on us from God. <laughs> God, get these people, they're horrible. Or whether he's praying a blessing on us. Similarly with Fabian, similarly with Grazia. In other words, although, and I've been in lots of charismatic prayer meetings where they've done it, where you have to sing songs in languages you have no idea what it is, the best that it will be is a, oh, bless them. Because it doesn't actually mean anything. Because I cannot join in. Because they are a foreigner to me. And you know what it's like when you're listening to foreign language and suddenly everybody is speaking their own language and if you don't understand it, you become the outsider. Well, Paul uses exactly that scenario with if Pat and Shirley and Marley now stand up and speak in tongues at length, loud enough so we have to stop what we're doing, 
and nothing else is given to explain what's being said, what do the rest of us do? Well, truth is, we have to wait until they're finished. And then we have to say, did you enjoy that? Because it will do us no good. But, of course, if Doomy and Grazia and Fabian and Pat and Shirley and, uh, and Marlene come and say, this is what I think God is wanting to say to us, and they use, in our context, English, everybody now goes, hmm. In fact, and I say this without respect, without wanting to embarrass the three uh, examples I use from overseas. If you do that, you bless us more because not only are you using language that we can understand, in your head you're having to work really hard so we can understand it. Do you know what I mean? But what happens as a result of that is we start to get built up. It's a classic example of what we're supposed to be doing with these spiritual gifts. Uh, where are we? Verse, um, so verse 12. So it is with you. Since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to exercise, excel in gifts that build up the church. Now obviously the picture here then is that all of you have a responsibility to be building up the church. And this is where it starts to change expectations. Now, this is not new for some of you. Some of you have been with me for 20 years. We've been down this track so many times to keep on reminding us because we need to keep on doing it because we just keep losing it. And I'll tell you exactly what happens. The cycle goes like this. I come, you know, I have come back and said, right, come on, we've got to go for this. Or we've had visitors in, okay, right, let's go for this. And we all go, yes, let's go for it. And then we sort of crest, ride a crest of a wave for a little while. And it's brilliant. And then... We sort of little decline it let, it, let it go again. So what happens then is, if I'm leading worship, I, I, I think, well, okay, we'll, we'll leave some space, we'll see. Nobody got anything they want to share. And um, if, if nobody says anything, I don't. You, you may not understand this, but 30 seconds at the front where you said, ask the question and you've got no response is about four hours. Okay, I'm conscious that where you're sitting, 30 seconds, if you're thinking of saying something, is two seconds. But it's that sort of strange thing about time. But when you're standing at the front, if I say, or Mary says, well, look, you know, we've been here for an hour and a half now. What have you, on earth have you been thinking? And what have you been feeling? And what do you think we need to be reminded about? What do you think God might be saying? If nobody says anything, we go, oh, okay. Now, the reality of the situation is this. Next week, I'm going, I'll ask him again. Now, if next week I ask you and I go, okay, folks, 90 minutes, what have you been thinking? And you still don't say anything. I'm now thinking the third week, I'm not going to ask him. And we begin to learn a culture that's not helpful, actually. Because the culture that we've, we get ourselves into is, I'm sure Neil will say something, or Mary will carry it going, and we don't have to. And we come ready to do that. And I think that's where we've been. Does that make sense?
Now, there's not a blame attached. It's just the way we do things. It's, it's, it's the pattern of what happens. The frustration comes on two points then. I go home frustrated. When I do go home frustrated, and I'm banging my head against the proverbial to say, why don't they speak? You go home frustrated thinking, why doesn't he wait? <laughs> the answer is, because last week you didn't say anything. <laughs> this is the reality. Now, it's important for a reason we'll come back to later. So, now Paul's dealing with his problem, verse 13. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind's unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my mind. I'll sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my mind. If you're praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he doesn't know what you're saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified or built up. Now what Paul does, he starts to just allude to, and it's as close as we get. What's happening when you do speak in this language you've not learned? Well, Paul says, well, as opposed to when we're singing, as we may well do later on, when we sing that, there must be more than this, we all sing it together, and we all sing mentally, and images emerge, or pictures emerge, but we're singing essentially with our mind. Okay, because it's there, we understand the words, we understand the concept, we understand the metaphor, we're going to go for it. But there's another singing Paul talks about. And this is where it's not that sort of coherence. It's where you sing or you pray, and it's something deep within you. This spirit stuff. In fact, he says... Just for this stuff. He says that it's your spirit, this bit of you, that somehow God connects with. He's trying to explain what is almost inexplicable. But there's a bit of you that when you've come to the end of your words, when you've come to the end of using the alphabet in any permutation, and you still are groaning, and you still are wanting to say something either joyfully or in lament, it's like, ooh! And Paul calls that your spirit praying. Now, Paul was no 21st century psychologist, and neither am I. But those who are have done extensive work on this sort of um, uh, this sort of a way of thinking, and have done studies on the mental health, you'll be surprised to hear this, they've done studies on the mental health of charismatic Christians. And contrary to what you will expect, they find that charismatic Christians, in many of the studies they've done, are healthier than the average Joe in the street. And one of the things that psychologists will look at is this ability to, and they may call it different things, meditate, but this idea of somehow this inner being bit of you is aligned. In other words, put it very simply, your frustration comes out. 
positively. But, of course, where is the, where's the primary place for that to happen? Well, actually, not on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock or 11.30. The primary place for that to happen is you on your own with God. Unless, unless someone interprets what's being said. I'll come back to that later. I thank God, he says, in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. In the church, I'd rather speak five, but in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. Because they were, they thought they were really spiritual because they were speaking in tongues when they were together all the time. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. And this is the bit that's really quite the tricky bit of the, the chapter. In the law it's written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I'll speak to this people, but even then they'll not listen to me, says the Lord. He then explains what he means by that verse. He's quoting it from the Old Testament. And it's a strange verse, but this is what he explains. Tongues then are a sign. Not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say you're out of your mind if you're all speaking in tongues? Yes, they will. He's expecting you to call back. But if an unbeliever or somebody who doesn't understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he's a sinner and be judged by all. The secrets of his heart will be laid bare and so he'll fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God's among you. This business about being a sign. Verse 22. Tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. That's not a positive sign. Do you remember that? Example I, I used with you that if you're sitting listening to people speak in a different language and you don't get it, you will just feel like an outsider. You don't know if they're talking about you. You don't know what they're saying. Uh, New Year, we went to Wales. And uh, it, it, we, were, <laughs> we were all together with all the, ki the kids and everything. And when you go in the shop and they're speaking in Welsh and they stop and they serve you, immediately you've got whatever you've gone. They go back to Welsh. Which of us is not insecure enough to wonder whether they're talking about us? Because we're outsiders. Marked. And in that sense, Paul says, tongues are a sign, but they're not a good sign to unbelievers. They're a, an exclusion sign. You don't belong here. Prophecy is a sign, but it's a different sort of sign. Prophecy is a sign that says to unbelievers, you need to be wary of what's going on here, because God's here. So what shall we say? When you come together, everyone has a hymn, or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. That's the link. So if someone does speak in tongues, then we have, as a community, say, whoa, stop for a moment. We can't just motor on here. We've got to wait for a moment and go, what was that about? 
And what it will be about is because tongues are not directed outwards. He says that in verses in the early verses, not to you know when you're speaking in tongues, you're not speaking to other people, you're speaking to God. So an interpretation then will be back to God. It'll sound like a prayer. But it's better, it's better that you use intelligible words that you receive from the Lord for the building up of the church. Now that's, that's what the chapter says. Okay, it's just going through the chapter, that's what the chapter says. Now we are not in a situation of overuse of anything. Alright? It's not like we have to stop a whole stack of things. We need to do the opposite. Do you know what I mean? It's like we'll have to start a whole number of things. But when this, in this sort of mix, one of the things that can happen is, immediately, for some people it's like, this sounds like A-level Christianity. I just want to do GCSE Christianity. Do you know what I mean? I'll just do the ordinary stuff. But this sounds up there. And Paul never says, now in a church context where everybody's going mental with um, spiritual gifts, one of the ways that Paul could have directed this and stopped it and got order back, he could have said, only your leaders use it. He could have said, don't use it at all. <laughs> He could have said, you know, we're only going to have, you know, uh, someone needs to write some stuff down and then everybody has to really think carefully about it. And, but he doesn't. He says, actually, in the midst of this, this is still for everybody. And he keeps stressing it's for everybody. Let me pause for a moment. Any questions? Or which questions do you want to ask? Might be a better question. Or thoughts that you want to run on with? Anything? Let me stand in three seconds. Are you counting? <laughs> it's far too, far too long. Yeah, Fabian. Paul comes from a Jewish background, and Paul's background was that once the Spirit has come at Pentecost, that this is the Lord speaking to his people through his people. The whole point of Pentecost was that it's not about special people at the front anymore. That was the big thing. And in a sense, what in the Old Testament they'd had was very much a, a special, and it was, a special man at the front. And the man at the front sort of was in the direct line with God, and everybody else went through the man at the front. But suddenly it's like, no, this is not about gender. It's not about being a leader. It's actually that God wants to speak to his church. 
So how will the prophecy happen? Let me just, I don't know if this is really answering your question, Fabian, but I'm on a roll now, so I'm not going to stop. But where, where does it get, how do you get it from? I'm actually thinking that it's not necessarily, you don't necessarily prophesy just by screwing your eyes up really tight and waiting for the goosebumps. Okay? Which may or may not happen, by the way. You may get goosebumps. And if you do, I'm not criticizing them, but, but you, it's all like, oh, come on, come on, come on. In the same way as you see the picture of what Jeremiah does in the Old Testament, when he prophesies, it's kind of interesting. What happens is, Jeremiah hears from the Lord, and Jeremiah says, what can you see? And Jeremiah looks, and he sees an almond tree. And God says, in the same way, and he uses a play on words of the almond tree. Now, I, my, my take on this is that actually Jeremiah saw an almond tree. And actually then thinks, right, okay, well, that word, it only works in, in Hebrew, but the word for the almond tree then applies to what I want to say to my people. In other words, it's like being aware, and this is how it fits with what I said at the beginning. Prophecy is still about being searingly honest about where we are. Prophecy is not just saying, God says you're lovely. Bless you. All right? Prophecy is not just saying, you know, you're a flower. It might be. But it may also be, God says, pull your finger out. God says, you've missed people. Because what we would expect is that when the people of God gather together, that somehow we reflect his heart, his values. And part of prophecy surely would be the Lord reminding us about his standards, his desires, his heart. Prophecy, by the way, not just telling us off all the time either. <laughs> all right. But there is that sense of, you know, and you see it in Revelation. I see what you're doing. And, and to the churches in Revelation, in chapter 2 and chapter 3, some churches, he said, you think you're doing really well, but I've got to tell you, it's not real. And other churches who thought they were, uh, you know, they just thought they were weak and pitiful and, and not doing anything. God speaks to them in prophecy and says, you look at yourselves and you just see you're struggling all the time, but I want to tell you, you're doing the business. So it's not just about telling us off, but it's actually about the Lord wanting to make sure we're on the right road. Go on. Is it different from from Revelation? No, I think I think it's part of a spectrum. I, I think I think it's very difficult. I, I I would want to say I think that the how Revelation, prophecy, dreams, visions. I think it's all part of a oh you know sort of different ways of describing. I mean, clearly a dream is different. Um, than a word, but I think it's all part of that how God speaks. That's the sort of the how. But again, it raises a good point because for some of you, you're a visual person. Just think about what happens when you're on the phone next to a pad with a pen in your hand. What do you do? When you doodle, what do you doodle? Some of you will doodle and it becomes a little work of art each time if you're on the phone long enough. But for others of you, you're very 
word-based. And I don't think that God makes you the same as everybody else. I think he uses your personality in a, a particular way. And I think for some of you, you will see things in your mind. Whereas others will be remembering a word or something you've heard or a, a kind of more textual thing. How, how do you deal with those who worry about the fact that prophecy might undermine finality of the Bible? Yeah, and I think that the, in a sense, if, if the way you look at scripture is this is, between these bound leaves, this is the revelation of what God is doing as a whole. And prophecy in our, I would expect prophecy in our local church to be the equivalent of a change of emphasis, a change of movement, a change of encouragement. It's sort of like building up a local thing. It's, it certainly can't replace it. And actually, if you listen to most prophecies, nor would you want it to. The riches there are far greater than anything you would hear. Um, so I think, and the other thing is, the, the other question that might link to that is, how do you judge whether it's right or not? Just because you say God said, I, I, I sometimes say things, and I used to say things much quicker and much more hardly, harshly than I do, I hope now, but even now I sometimes. Um, but you know, like people used to say to me, oh, God told me. How do you know? And it's a good question, actually. How do you know? Because the point is, we offer it. And this is the whole process of judging something and weighing it. So we do it in a sense that says, and this is why I think language is really important, rather than standing and saying, thus saith the Lord. And if you argue with these words, you know, <laughs> let you be excommunicated. Now, it's much better to say, this is what I feel the Lord is saying, and I offer it to you. For you, for, for us together to weigh up. Does this sound like where we're at? Is this, is this an insight? Is this something? And, and I, I think that sometimes we would need to say, on occasions we'd have to say, we really need to think about that. And I don't want to make a quick judgment. I don't want to make a quick judgment. At five past eleven on a Sunday morning, uh, half past eleven on a Sunday morning. I actually want to think about that for a bit. If it's big, because there have been there have been prophecies that people have brought into our church over the years that have worked out over a long period of time. Just looking at Anna here, but I'm not going to embarrass her, and I'm not going to tell you what it was either. Um, but if you want to ask her, you can ask her later. But she. Probably 18 years ago, you, you gave me a picture that, and a prophecy that I did not want to hear. It wasn't about me, it's about the church, but I didn't want to hear that. And I've got to say, I resist, I kind of, I took it from you because I was scared of you, but I kind of put it in the drawer because I didn't want to believe it. But what you said would happen did happen. It's just that when you said this is going to happen, it felt like if that happens quickly, Will, will dissolve. And what Annie brought way back then worked itself out over probably four or five years. But exactly what she said happened did happen. Barb, you've done the same in the past. Maggie, you've been used in the same way. We've had outside people who've been used in the same way. 
We've had outside people who've come as visitors who did not know our context and our situation and have spoken, and suddenly we've had to take that really seriously. There was a famous word that came to us about the elder brother of the prodigal son story. Remember the one I'm talking about? And it, it, it needed wisdom to, for us to think about how we're going to use that as a church. I'm, I want to tell you, I'm a massive advocate of this. And what I'm kind of pleading for is for you to come up for it. Very orderly for you. <laughs> when Paul talks in um, chapter 12 about the gifts of the Spirit, yeah. he's careful to say to one is given yeah. through the Spirit, yeah. through the yeah. to another faith, yeah. to another gifts of healing, yeah. to another prophecy. Yeah. As if to say that the gift is given to specific individuals as a gift. Yeah. Rather than it's to me what yeah. Yeah, is, yeah. is laid before us as being something that we can all yeah. anticipate. Now he does actually say both things. Just divided by chapter thirteen. On the one hand in twelve he does say to some given this gift. And I, I think um, and in chapter four he says you can all prophesy. So it's like, Paul, do you not remember what you said 300 words ago? I think the, the answer, I think how you can balance this stuff is like this. In chapter 12, he's writing about the significance of being a body. You cannot do without one another because actually each of you brings something special. So Paul wants to say no one person will have every gift that is needed so that the rest of you can just sit back. That's, his, that's the thrust of the whole of the 12th chapter. In chapter 14, he's got a different thrust. And the thrust is, actually, you know, I'd love you all speaking tongues, but do that at home. But actually, when you're in church, I want you all to prophesy. And in a sense, I think it's a similar sort of question that you asked last week about the healing case. Because in chapter 12, he does. And I think it's the same point. That none of us have it all. That's why we need one another. But practically, how do you know when you've got it? Except you use it. And my concern is that for some of you, it's like you need to try and see if you've got it. See, how do you actually get the gift of tongues? Well, the thing about the gift, of, the really tricky thing about the gift of tongues is you've got to move your tongue. Right. <laughs> And the second thing about the tricky thing about the gift of tongues is it sounds strange, and it does. And the third thing is you'll sound stupid, and you do. All of those things are true. Until you grow into it. It's a step of faith. You think, well, is it that important? How do you know when, how do you know when you've been used in the gift of prophecy? Well, actually, because I feel this so strong that this is what I want to say. It's actually for other people to say, I think that's a prophetic word. And perhaps that's the easier way to deal with this stuff. To actually expect that you and I both together have a real part to play in the work that God wants to do here. And it's for each of us then to determine, what was that then? Fabian, glad you came. <laughs> Yeah, you need to 
about people who have been baptized by the Holy Spirit or about all Christians? Paul clearly expects that the normal Christian life is one when you're filled with the Spirit. Paul does not, Paul cannot conceive that you could be a Christian without being full of the Spirit. Now, and I say it that way because behind the question, what's happened with the term baptism in the Spirit is it became used by a certain kind of denomination to work out who was in and who was out. And it also became used by, by our denomination, amongst others, that if you hadn't spoken in tongues, then you weren't full of the Spirit, which is wrong, bottom line, on the basis of chapter 12. Okay? So you can be full of the Spirit, and speak in tongues. I actually believe you can be full of, the, you can be empty of the Holy Spirit. You can be grieving the Holy Spirit and still speak in tongues. All right, it's not, it's not, it's not an easy equation. In fact, some of the mean-spirited people I've met in my Christian life have been very good at speaking in tongues. I just don't think they're full of the Spirit. So, I'm kind of more concerned that Paul's, Paul's Understanding of what normal Christian living is, is that you will be overflowing with the, the fruit of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit, and the awareness of the Spirit leading you. This is normal Christianity. It's just that often in the church we've settled for something else. I don't mean our church, just but the church. We've settled for religious practice, you know, come to church. And Paul doesn't seem to have any idea about that. There's, um, there are Christians who believe that and prophecy and uh, tongues is the Bible. It's the Bible, but still, born in the spirit, when you become a Christian, so therefore they don't need tongues. I, I, I had Oh, you mean it's just for the Bible times? Yes, Bible yeah. times. So yeah. just, you know, it's, yeah. it's like when we've uh, spoken to it. It's Some Christians will say that. They'll say that actually when the Bible was put together in, you know, fourth century. The spirit is there. Yeah. You know, once you become a Christian, Sure, and I think it's not about evidence. I think what's it's much more about is enjoying the gift that's being offered to you. And I think if you see it like that, then actually this is quite interesting. Well, we're going to break for a moment now. We're going to do some practice. Now, you're, I, if you're scared about this, so am I, don't worry. Um, <laughs> the first thing I want to say is that nobody is going to be put on the spot in an uncomfortable way. Okay? So that's the first thing. I, I really mean that. You're not going to be put on the spot. We're not going to force you to do anything that's unnatural for you or that feels uh, unhelpful. And I don't know, because this will be depending on now how you react to this. But one of the questions I had was, we wanted to offer was, if you've never spoken in tongues, but you'd like to, well, we'd like to do some some prayer with you. We'd like to spend some time with you. We'd like to help and see if that will happen for you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. You're not not in front of everybody else, by the way. I'm, I'm expecting a small group for that, and um, we would take you to a, a little place and beat you up until you did it. Okay? So if you would like 
if you if you've never spoken in tongues and you just like to either think about it a bit more, talk about it a bit more, or actually have someone pray for you, then then we'll do that. The way I spoke in tongues was this is this is what happened to me. Tell you the truth, I was at a prayer meeting. I was um, it's all part of how I became a Christian when I was about sixteen, seventeen. I was at a prayer meeting and uh, I I decided I'd, I'll have some of that, and um, uh, I went forward to be prayed for, and lots of good intention people tried to make it out for me. All right. And uh, even to the extent of, just repeat this for a bit, and if you repeat this, it'll get you going. Well, I, I was having none of that, really. So I, I wasn't interested in that, but I was prayed for quite intensely, and nothing happened. Absolutely zilch. And I went home feeling a bit of a failure. But later that evening, um, I was sitting in my bed in Halifax, and at the time there was a little chorus called, Jesus, how lovely you are, you are so... Something or other. So, something unkind. And it was just a four-line little chorus. And I was just singing it, humming it to myself before I um, read my book. Um, and I just, that was it. Nothing happened. Just sang the chorus. In the morning, woke up. And as I was getting dressed and humming this little tune, just started doing it. All on my own. No pressure. No hassle. And, and it was it was really kind of easy. And I didn't go around parading everybody. I didn't go down to breakfast and say, hey, see what happened to me. Um, so, yes. <laughs> and, therein, and therein lies the difference. <laughs> yeah, down, all down the road. Yeah, I think. I think it was kind of my matter of fact, but it was part of a spiritual, I think it was definitely a spiritual development, and there was a sense of something else. It was, it was like this release of something else. Uh, absolutely, and, and longer I can do now, I can just do it or not do it. You just start, you know, if, if I wanted to, I could just do it now. Not I'm going to do, but I could, and I could stop. It's, it's, you're not taken over by something alien, or the alien. So we want to do that. If if that's relevant for you, we want to give you that opportunity. For others of you, we want to give you the opportunity of doing this, being open to God bit. And what we're going to do this bit may sound a little artificial, but bear with us, okay? We're going to pray, and we're going to pray for each other, okay? And you don't need to get involved in this. You can just watch on. There's no pressure, all right? So I just keep want to keep emphasizing you. Pray, but not. you may not do it out loud. That's what I mean. You can just be part of it. But we're going to pray for each other, and we're going to start to speak out what we think the Lord might want to say to each other. Okay? Now the worst that will happen, the, the worst thing that will happen, the worst thing that will happen is you will say encouraging things that you're making up. That's the worst thing that will happen. Actually the worst thing that will happen is if you think you've got a downer on this person it's your chance to get in there. That would be the worst thing, and we'll visit you. Um, but the worst thing is, you'll just be saying encouraging things, okay? So just just let's go with this for a little while. The best thing that can happen is, as 
has happened in the past when we've done this sort of stuff. People go, wow, yeah, that is really relevant. And we want to just do that for a little while, and then we're going to come back and do some worship together, some song worship together. Okay? Now, part of this whole process is allowing you to hear your own voice. Alright? Now something happens odd to us when we think we go to pray. It's like our eyes close and our mouths do. We like those dolls that lie down, you know? It's like everything just becomes, oh, what if I say something stupid? Well, the truth is you're not going to say anything more stupid than you say in the normal course of events. <laughs> so you'll all be able to do it. You really are not going to say anything more stupid than you have said when you've greeted people tonight or when you've been with people. We don't want you to make you feel particularly uncomfortable. We don't want to put you unfairly on the spot. But we do want people just to have a go. So, this is very matter of fact, isn't it? Do any of you want to speak in tongues? Okay, three. Anybody else? Four. Any advance on four? No? It's okay. It's just need to know where we're going to go, that's all. Right. We'll go to the vestry. <laughs>